and welcome to the latest LIBF Mortgage Podcast. My name is Gordon Reid, Business Development Manager here at the London Institute of Banking and Finance. And today we're going to be discussing consumer duty and specifically the preparation for this by the mortgage sector of the financial services industry. And I'm delighted to be joined today by two ladies who are both new to the LIBF Mortgage Podcasts, um, though at least one has worked quite extensively with us on other events. So first of all, I'd like to welcome Charlotte Allen, Chief Compliance and Risk Officer at the Key Group. Welcome. Great to see you, Charlotte, or to at least hear you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> That's quite all right. That's quite all right. I'm sure... Uh, I know from talking to you last week, you've got some really interesting observations and really great things to share with us today. So uh, I'm, I'm really happy that you're with us. And, and secondly, I'd like to also welcome Julie Pardy, the Director of Regulation and Market Engagement at WorkSmart. Julie, I'm aware that you've worked quite a bit with the LIBF before, but this is the first mortgage podcast. So welcome. Really, really great to have you with us today. Uh, uh, really delighted to be here. Thanks um, for inviting me. Quite all right. Quite all right. I'm looking forward to this uh, discussion because personally, I've been reading an awful lot about the consumer duty over the last few months. Um, But I have to say the question that keeps going through my head is exactly how does this impact on people working in the mortgage sector and what should they be doing? So I think, you know, there's there's various things we're going to look at today. But I, I just start off with a bit of an open question for you both. Would it be fair to say that you've been fully immersed in the world of consumer duty over recent months? Yeah, absolutely. So hi, Charlotte here. Um, I'm one of the sponsors of the project for our group and have probably been preparing for this for well over a year. Um, It feels like it's taken over my life. Right. Yeah. So a a massive, massive area for, uh, for compliance and risk within the key group. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Julie, similar? Um, From my perspective, slightly different angle, really, Mm. um, because we are an organisation that supports regulated entities. um, Ours has been about um, familiarisation, understanding the challenges of regulated firms, thinking about where we fit into the picture and how we can support, but obviously making sure our knowledge is tip top. So loads of events, webinars and listening to the FCA's podcasts and reading and trying to retain as much of the uh, guidance and support that they're providing to the industry currently. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And that's exactly why uh, I was so keen to to have you join us today, Julie. I, I think the interesting thing is so much of what I've read and heard is quite, uh, if I can say, general and aimed at the broader financial services industry, which the mortgage sector forms a key part. Um, but really today, what I wanted to do for our particular audience was to to think about well, what's the impact? What should mortgage advisors be doing? What should people working in the mortgage industry specifically be doing and be thinking about? So that that's that's the sort of background to today. Really, really great to have you both and, and to get some of your observations. So if I can just again start with a fairly open question, from what you're seeing and from what you're reading, uh, and I suppose, Julie, you can answer this from an industry perspective, Charlotte, from the key group perspective, how well prepared for consumer duty is the mortgage sector of financial services? Julie, perhaps I can come to you first, just because you've got that broader overview. What would your view be on that? Absolutely. Um, 
I think it depends. Uh, I think there's um, proportionality in terms of the size of the organisation, the resources. Um, we actually had an in-house event yesterday and uh, we did some polling um, around where firms and individuals were. And they were saying a couple of the really big challenges for them is actually around resource. So everybody's doing their day jobs. Everybody's fully engaged in their normal individual responsibilities and then layered on top of that are all of the additional requirements so there's some challenges there looking at the wider sense though if you look at the feedback that the fca has recently published on consumer duty um they just for a bit of background they um looked at implementation plans for uh, a number of organizations. So the larger fixed portfolio firms. So those organizations that are the, the biggest, um, I suppose, supervisory relationships that the SCA has. And, and that was quite interesting to see because there was lots of really good stuff in that. And if people haven't seen that, they probably should have a look, but that went from, you know, some of the big organizations are doing really well. They've got robust plans. Um, they, they've got detailed training plans, they've got good governance in respect to the projects, all the way through to, well, actually, some of these organisations, bearing in mind they are the larger ones, um, actually, maybe the plans aren't as robust as they should be. Maybe there hasn't been sufficient challenge at board. Maybe they don't have their data strategies organised yet. So I think it's a real mix. Mm. Yeah, I'd, I'd add to that, Julie. I think that that report back from the FCA is really helpful as a bit of a sense check for firms, regardless of how big you are. And proportionality is, is a critical factor, but utilising that to say, you know, have we looked at this, challenge ourselves as to whether we should actually also be doing this? And if not, why not? Why isn't that appropriate? I mean, personally, from you know, from our perspective, that's been really helpful to kick the tyres on what we've done so far. And, and I would agree it's a real mix as to how prepared people are. And I think there are firms who have done lots of work and it is the resource drain is real. <laughs> it's, it's not a quick piece of work. I think the real danger is for for businesses that are thinking, actually, we already do all of this. We don't need to do anything. And I think those are the firms that probably need to kind of revisit that position and really assure themselves that why do they think that's the case? Because the FCA has been pretty clear that no, they don't think anybody's hitting this standard yet. So I think if there are firms out there who are thinking we haven't done much because we don't think it really impacts us, they're the ones who probably just need to take a little bit of a step back and say, right, why have we got comfortable with that? How are we evidencing that's the case? Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. You both mentioned that word proportionality, um, and, and Julie, you picked up on the fact that yeah, some some big organisations are doing really, really well, but actually, it's also some of the bigger organisations that perhaps aren't as well prepared, and and as you said, Charlotte, are, are still thinking that what they've done all along will be sufficient to to meet the responsibilities of consumer duty, and clearly, that's not the case. So, hmm, interesting. Uh, so, if we're thinking about uh, individual mortgage advisors, if you like the guys on the front line, the guys who are talking directly to consumers, are there particular aspects of the consumer duty you feel they should be focusing on over the next few months? Yeah, so from my perspective, the real thing, obviously there's an element of the April deadline 
which is when all distributors, advisors, brokers should receive those information sheets from all of the lenders that fully explain the target market, the distribution strategy, the benefits and features. So there's there's a little bit of waiting for that information to come in because let's face it, come April, that's when that real work will start of making sure that they understand those products fully and it aligns to what they're doing with their customers. But I think that doesn't stop the initial piece of work now. And for me, if I was an advisor um, in the role you've just mentioned, then it would be really looking at fees. Okay, so what are, I'd be very clearly assessing what are the value, what is the value and what are the benefits from the service I provide and making sure that's clearly documented But then also assessing, right, so where are all the fees for customers that come into that? And is that aligned? Are those fees aligned to the value that my services deliver? But then also, do they reflect the effort involved? So, you know, the FCA is very clear. We we can make profits. That's what we're here to do. You know, we all have to, we're businesses. But actually, is that disproportionate? And that absolutely is something that people can be doing today without waiting for anything from the lenders at this stage. Fantastic. That's really good. That's really good. Thanks for that. Anything to add to that, Julie? Yeah, I, th- I think too. I, I absolutely agree. Um, that's that's a really really nice way of, of describing it, isn't it? And I and I think there's the 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 personal perspective as well. In that, you know, I'm a mortgage advisor. I I might be employed. I might be self employed. I might be part of a network. Um, and actually, there'll be a big project within that, that those organisations ongoing. But there's also the piece that actually, you know, at the point of discussion and debate between the mortgage and advisor and the individual that's getting the advice or the service, then obviously you, you've got that heightened requirement around foreseeable harm. Mm. So actually looking and inputting to projects around the fact finding the record keeping the governance processes and actually going back to the you know that basics of knowing your customer and truly understanding the full picture so that the advice process delivers the best possible advice because taking charlotte's point of earlier and i was was thinking about what you said um around this piece where some organizations and maybe some individuals think that what we do already is fine we don't need to do anything different but that's based on metrics and a lower standard that isn't the standard of consumer duty um and therefore this piece around well i'm an individual i'm I'm a mortgage advisor the firm's going to tell me what to do well actually no you know you're you're a person that is subject to regulatory oversight on the financial services register for many and therefore there is personal accountability around my own competence my capability and how i interact with the processes that the firm delivers um so you know i i think mortgage advisors would and should be looking at this through their continued professional development and also saying I want more I need to understand you know I, I, I firm or network please give me more information and more guidance to help me make sure I can discharge my responsibilities. Mm. Do you know ladies you make some really interesting points there I was actually I was reading an article I'm just going to see if I can find it right now yeah I was reading an article the other day um, which was about what are the key consumer duty concerns for mortgage brokers and what they uh, what they identified as the number one concern was around lender communications um so they were talking about 
both themselves and their clients need to be kept up to date with responses offered in a timely manner, and many highlighted the use of jargon-free language. And I, and I think that's absolutely valid. It's valuable feedback, but it is interesting that it goes back to this point of do brokers, does every advisor out there understand their own personal responsibilities for consumer duty? So it isn't purely about, well, you know, the lender, yes, the lender, as, as you said, Charlotte, by April, there's a deadline there for them to be communicating things like who's the target market for my product, you know, but there is that massive responsibility with the individual advisor to understand exactly what the customer, the consumer situation is, what the consumer's real needs and wants are, and to make sure that they are matching. Ultimately, they're at the front line. You as a mortgage advisor are the one that's got to match the right product to your consumer. So, Yeah, that's that. if you don't mind, if I don't mind, no, no, I'd like you, to pick up on that because yeah. I think that, that's a great point. The we're still the advisors. We're the ones who have to make sure it's right for the customer. So whereas the lenders will provide information and the networks may provide more information, it's still down to the individual advisor to make sure that is the right product, the right fit for that customer based on their individual circumstances. And, and so that nothing that's not going to change under consumer duty. And the FCA has been quite clear over the years around wanting more personalization, wanting more challenge to consumers. That's really still going to sit with advisors to make sure that you can clearly demonstrate why that was right or why that wasn't right for that customer, which is equally as important because it won't always be right for every customer. And it's not just about using existing information. Another point the FCA is making is we don't expect firms to just look at data they've got today. They should be looking at where they've got data gaps. And that's the same for advisors on the front line. You know, how do you actually know that you're delivering the right outcomes for those customers? How can you actually prove that? And I'm really stepping back and going, okay, what else would I like? What else do I need to be able to do this? Mm. Yeah, yeah, really, really good points there. It does, it does lead me on to a, a follow-up question, which I think to an extent you've answered in some of the things you've said earlier, but I'm, I'm still going to throw it in there anyway. To what extent and in what areas can advisors rely on networks, for example, uh, could apply to mortgage clubs, lenders themselves, to support them with their compliance to consumer duty responsibilities, what are the areas? What are the areas where they can rely on them, and what are the areas where they really, really do need to think this is my personal responsibility, and nothing that anyone else can do is going to be sufficient for me? Well, I, I guess I'd, I'd probably, if I jump in here and say, I, I'd take a step back first and and just look at the relationship I have with the organisation. So, am I employed? Am I self-employed? Am I directly authorised? Um, am I um, working through a network? And therefore, where does this, there's, there's two levels here around the individual accountability piece. Um, and then I would consider actually, what's my status? So obviously, if I'm employed, I'm going to expect a training and communication plan to be delivered through my employer. But it's not... Uh, it's not the, the the regulators not looking for that attitude. I think we, we laugh about it sometimes in 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 training. Um, that attitude of train me if you think you're hard enough. Um, <laughs> it's not that. It's about what do I need to know, and therefore, you rightly say that from lenders and from mortgage clubs, 
there will be that piece around familiarization with products, how they are going to interact, how they will be discharging their responsibilities under consumer. But ultimately, at the point that the advice is given, then the accountability at that point is the individuals. And therefore, they need to, going back to your point um, earlier, Gordon, they need to do and they need to satisfy themselves at that point. So do I have enough information? How am I sure that these individuals understand it doesn't matter actually um at that point when you're giving the advice if that advisor thinks that lender communications aren't sufficient they can feed that back but what they need to do is make sure that in their words they're delivering the information in a way and in a manner that the individual can understand mm. yeah i i completely agree with that i think there's a clear requirement with the lenders to share that, you know, their clearly defined target market, who are their products actually aimed at, you know, that is something you can rely on the lenders to be sharing with the advisors so that it's really clear who they should be, you know, giving their advice to and selling these products to. But then that needs translating by the advisors into the people they're actually sitting in front of, you know, is this actually the person that the lender intended this product to be sold to? And then I think the understanding piece is really, really critical. There is, we know there's jargon in letters, even all of us, we might think it's not jargon, but from a layperson perspective, it is, you know, there's still nuances in there that people don't understand. And that is, the lenders will be doing a lot to try and refine that, but there's a role for advisors to challenge and say, actually, I think you can go further. I still think that's, you know, there is jargon in there that needs further explanation. But then also, if you're the person talking to the customer, you can get, tells and prompts that the customer's not really understanding that but they might be nodding along and there's a key piece there around do you understand the customer's biases and and where they may be nodding because they want the product but actually you can tell they don't really understand what you're going through that's the advisor's role to really then drill into that and make it clearer and, and really get that affirmation that they can take assurance the customer does understand mm. Actually, yeah. can I pick up on that point, you can, Julie. Charlotte, that, that, uh, that you've just said around biases? So I think that's a, that's a, a, a great observation because the, the regulator did some really, really good work on behavioural biases. And I'm not sure that some of that's been lost um, and hasn't necessarily been sort of carried through and communicated within firms. I'm trying to remember even when it was, but it might have been around 2015, 2014. There was all sorts of research and the SEA have got um, a separate website to the main website called Insights. Um, and I'm not sure all advisors would know about it. And basically mm -hmm. that's, that's where... That, the, um, they put a lot of research about behavioural science. And I think mm -hmm. if you understand that bit around the different biases that consumers have, even we have when we're buying things that we don't even understand that we've got that could negatively affect um, the outcome of the sales process, if people better understand that, then maybe actually they can be more effective in role um, and they can definitely pick that up from that website um, uh, called insights. Mm, that sounds a really interesting one. So uh, perhaps uh, perhaps we might be able to post a link to that as well if we can find that uh, uh, for the readers. So uh, I'll, I'll um, or for the listeners, I should say. So yeah, let's have a look and see if we can find that because I think that'd be good for people to understand. Um, there was a couple of things I was going to pick up on there as well. Um, so just thinking about uh, again the individuals um, and the way you receive communication yourself is one thing. So, so, you know, when you're reading things coming through from the lenders, 
if you're struggling to understand something, then then you can probably empathize a little bit better with your consu- with your consumers, with your customers. Um, but you have to, even if you do understand something, you've got that responsibility. You can't simply take the language that the lender is using and assume that that language is appropriate to every one of your consumers, every one of your customers. Because again, they will receive messages in very, very different ways. So I'm thinking the way in which you communicate has to be very, very individual to your customers, even if the product itself appears, they, that, you know, even if it appears that the product is the right type of product for your customer, are you doing enough to make sure your customer, your individual in front of you, understands exactly the, the terms, the conditions, the implications, the benefits, the risks of that product? Yeah, and you're absolutely right. That's, you know, firms can give you guidance and training on networks or whoever, you know, if you are part of it, if you are employed within a bigger firm, but they can't replicate what you're going to see there day in, day out. So it is absolutely on the advisors to tailor that piece. Completely Mm. agree. And it's similar to it's similar to the well the product you know, the customer fits within the target market for that product. That doesn't make that product right for that customer because a a market a target market is going to be quite a broad spectrum of customers whereas you're advising an individual or a couple or or whatever it is you're advising one or two people at a time not a group of people so yeah i think it is it's that really really essential is this right for the individual Uh, and also we've got things like you know we've got greater emphasis now on on spotting things like customer vulnerabilities or potential vulnerabilities. Uh, and that that plays a really important part in, in consumer duty as well. Okay, that's interesting. So, so I, again, we probably hinted at this, but I think it's worth asking the question. If you were a frontline advisor or if you were uh, managing a group of frontline advisors, what, what skills would you focus on developing in order to help them comply with consumer duty? listening it's so critical and and I I don't think it's necessarily anything new you know but you can't you can't be reinforcing that point it's absolutely about picking up on those verbal and non-verbal cues as well from the customers open questioning and and really challenging but in a obviously in a constructive way I think consumers are coming into conversations thinking they know what they want thinking they know what the best outcome might be for them but I think that real piece of taking what a customer is telling you and and assessing it based on your specific expertise and then challenging the customer let's let's not forget we're the experts and they may think they know what's right for them but there is an absolute requirement that advisors have to be equipped to challenge customers' beliefs and, and biases going back to the earlier point in order to be able to really deliver those good outcomes not just fair outcomes anymore but that higher standard of good outcomes mm. and i think picking up on that as well it's 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 thinking about the the um those interpersonal skills as you say and also understanding the way people take on information so we've got you know all of the research tells us um that you know some people understand things by seeing visual imagery whereas other people will understand things by just hearing something explained and actually that's really hard to you know identify that so actually having the ability to provide information in a variety of sources in a variety of ways um but i think one thing maybe we haven't always been good uh, or or great at as an industry is we do 
um, our fact finding. We do ask the right questions. We do listen well, but we don't always demonstrate through our record keeping, through mm. our reports that we write, the full situation as it's occurred so that when things happen later on maybe our records aren't as full as they could be and that can cause problems for individuals and firms so I think one of the things that I thought was a little bit disappointing actually with the the feedback from the FCA that we talked about but on the section where they had the culture and the people piece was maybe that the the planning around the, the the training and the input at individual level wasn't as developed as they thought it should be in many firms. And I think um, that actually quite often with these big projects, it can be the, the, the last piece that's done, or if, if resource is tight, it doesn't get done as well as it could do. But there needs to be a lot of input and support um, to advisors to help develop those skills, I think, to the next level bearing in mind the regulators looking at, at firms and individuals delivering to a higher standard than ever before. It's an interesting point you make there, Judy, because uh, I've got experience of uh, working for a large corporate myself when there have been similar, very large regulatory changes. And you, you write that actually what, you know, the organisation has done some really detailed planning. However, the thing that's been quite last minute because it's almost felt like the organisation hasn't known everything it wanted to know until the last minute, has been the training of the individuals, the frontline staff. And the issue there is that that does mean that they're the frontline, they're the ones who are actually engaging with the consumer, but they're also potentially the least prepared or they've had the least time to consolidate the learning that they've just had. So that's that's an interesting point. Um, I just want to go back to something uh charlotte you talked about challenging biases uh, and to me one of the most obvious biases that many customers walk into uh discussions with is they often have a preconceived idea about what the right product is for them um and yes any really good advisor will always challenge that but i think the emphasis on the need to challenge that and the extent and the way in which you do that, it becomes all the greater under consumer duty. Yeah, com I completely agree. I think, and, and to your point, there are people who will do that really, really well, but it's it's not always consistent and they're paying for a service and you know we have a regulatory obligation to make sure the customer gets a good outcome. They're not the experts here. Mm. Julie, you made a really salient point about you know this thing about perhaps one of the things we don't always do is we don't demonstrate the quality of our advice through our record keeping and, and i was just thinking about that as well linked back to what what i think charlotte mentioned about which is almost learning styles how people prefer how people understand things which can be you know some people need to hear things some people need to read things some people need a very very visual do you think that's there's a bit of a link there between why some people or some organizations are not as good at their record keeping as well. Is that possibly because the way in which record keeping is set up doesn't necessarily match the biases of the people who are, who are maintaining the records? Yeah, well, absolutely. It could be a key part of it. And it could be that coupled with whatever oversight that they've got that's not identifying the issues exist in the first place. 
because, you know, um, previously, like yourself, in a, a large corporate uh, world, I used to oversee um, the uh, training and competence supervision of hundreds of mortgage advisors and investment advisors. And, and the amount of times when we would challenge around quality of advice um, on a particular case and the individual would go, Yes. And what I can tell you is, and they would tell you this stuff that isn't written down anywhere. You can't find it anywhere. But but there was this situation as well. And that's why I did that. And so um, I'm not sure other than, you know, more training, more input, greater checks, uh, greater oversight and hand holding when you've got people into in new into role or new process um uh, and very good um and detailed oversight to try and pick up and to be constantly be guiding people um but i think it's it, it's always been a challenge and i suspect it will continue to be a challenge for, for many firms and individuals yeah. mm. but i think a really good a really good summary point to pick up on what you just said there julie is if as an advisor there is a part of the story which makes up your recommendation and it's not included in your documentation include it in your documentation it needs to be if it's part of the story if it's part of the reason you've recommended it just make sure it's in your documentation okay um so moving on with a a final question for for today um do you have any significant concerns or no actually that's a bit of a closed question i'm going to open it up what are your greatest concerns about the readiness of the mortgage sector for consumer duty Appreciate we're still, we're five months away, but we know how quickly time moves, you know. So what would be your greatest concerns about our readiness? Me, it, it's the April deadline. So most lenders, you know, there's lots of work going on in the manufacturer side so that they are working on these reviews and they have until the end of April to get this information out to the mortgage advisors. But then that doesn't leave very long to disseminate that. And if there are going to be changes to target market or products for then advisors and um, and and their firms to actually make the changes they, they need. And so I think the biggest worry there is making sure from April there is real time set aside to be able to do that. I'd, I'd say time, time and resource, because I think it's natural that when you're waiting on information from another party, that you will hold up some of the work that you need to do because you'll be worried about the implication of something that you're going to receive. Um, mm-hmm. But I think in this instance, the advisory popula- population um, are, I'm sure, and will continue to work on the things that they can work on um, without um, without having to wait for some of the information that they know they're reliant on a third party. Mm. And I just think from the feedback that we've had most recently is resource. Um, yeah. Everybody's got a day job. Um, this is challenging. The more you dig into, um, are you truly satisfied that you're delivering good consumer outcomes? Um, the more you find, and therefore the more work needs to be done. So the challenge, I think, which the regulators already picked up on around the prioritisation and what is going to be the biggest wins that firms are going to get. Mm. Uh, It it just links back to something you said, I think, Charlotte, you said earlier, you know, yes, you're waiting. This April deadline means that you might still be waiting for information from lenders it would be a shame to me if all lenders delayed right until the end of April to provide that information. 
but I'm sure that the reality is that most will release it quite late to give themselves as long as possible to meet that deadline. But it doesn't mean that you as an advisor or you as a firm can't be looking at things like fees, value, benefit of service. Are the fees aligned and reflect the service, the efforts involved, that type of thing? So there is absolutely work that can be done, but perhaps the fear might be that individual firms, because of shortage of resource, might be leaving things very, very late and might not realise just how much work there is to do to to ensure that they are ready for, for the July deadline. I think um, yeah. just one last point I would mm. add, you know, well, instead of waiting for that April deadline, which I'm sure many are not, but really sitting down and going, what does a good customer outcome look like for me and for my specific part of the industry? And that's something you can absolutely do now without that information. So how do you know you've got a good customer outcome? And then importantly, how do you prove that? You don't need, you don't necessarily need things from the lenders, although there may be metrics you want going forward, but yeah. that can that can be happening now. What does good actually look like and, and how do you demonstrate it? Actually, and that that probably leads me on to, to one more thing, if, there, if, if there's time. Of course, absolutely, Just, um, Julie. Absolutely, yeah. Um, from an advisory perspective, if one were to look at the finalised guidance that the regulator mm-hmm. put out, and look particularly at the section on monitoring, um, they've, uh, sorry, they, as in the SEA, have identified 15 areas where they've suggested that firms might want to consider um, MI and data to try and help them decide whether they are delivering good consumer outcomes. But when I went through those and looked at them, actually a lot of them do point to the advisory um, uh, individuals because they're focusing on business persistence, um, training and competence records, file reviews and quality of advice, customer feedback, complaints, root cause analysis. And so there's an awful lot of data points, I think, that are actually pointing at mortgage advisors, investment Mm. advisors, pension advisors. So for me, what, what I read out of that is that actually the output of my work and my KPIs, whilst they will currently be scrutinized, they will potentially be more scrutiny and therefore how do I make sure um, that I am doing the right thing against all of those measures going forward yeah yeah you're absolutely right you're absolutely right (laughs) and again it's not designed I I don't think any of this should be designed to frighten anyone shouldn't be designed to frighten anybody from becoming a mortgage advisor but it should just be designed to encourage people to to realize that they're working in a really professional industry where standards of service uh, and consumer value is paramount. Um, And and that's an exciting time to be coming into the industry or to be working in the industry. Um, You know, uh, you could probably argue that these type of standards should be applied to a a lot broader uh, range of services that we all receive in our lives. Um, So I think it's a real positive. Uh, Consumer duty presents some challenges present some challenges for manufacturers, for distributors, for individuals, for firms of all sizes. But it's really, really key to keep the industry moving in the right direction. So I'm really excited to see it. And and I think, you know, like everything else, um, we will adapt as an industry. We will adapt. We'll get better. We'll get better processes um, and we'll get better training. We'll get, you know, a whole different approach, which might take time to to embed, um, but ultimately it can only be good for the industry and only good for our customers. And I hope you both agree with that. I do. <laughs>
Fantastic. Fantastic. Ladies, thank you so much for your time uh, this morning. That's been really, really interesting from my perspective. And, and hopefully for uh, the listeners, for, for mortgage advisors out there or for anybody else um, who uh, works within the sector, uh, you found some uh, useful bits. You've got some additional things to think about. Um, and it might even lead you to uh, thinking about reading up more about the consumer duty, attending more events. So uh, just on that note, I do just want to uh, highlight that uh, the LIBF do have a webinar which you can register for taking place on Tuesday, the 7th of March, called Countdown to the Consumer Duty. And uh, Julie Pardy, who's been with me this morning, is also on that panel. Um, so, Julie, uh, I know uh, you're being joined by your colleague Nick Dent and Tim Farmer from Comentis on that one. Um, and that will obviously be a slightly broader spectrum uh, in the sense of it won't be specifically aimed at the mortgage sector, but certainly it will have some really, really relevant things in for anybody who works in financial services, including those in the mortgage industry. I think that's right to say. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very much looking forward to it. Yep, and I'm looking forward to seeing that one as well. So, ladies, on that note, it just uh, remains for me to say thank you very much for your time this morning. It's been a real pleasure. It's been, as I say, first mortgage podcast I've done with both of you. I really hope it won't be the last one. And uh, I, I'd love to have you back on a future episode if we have something that uh, uh, f uh, fits in with your particular specialities. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. And uh, I'll listeners i hope uh, you enjoy the episode and i look forward to uh, speaking to you again next month <laughs> <laughs>